This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warhol Man Cave inside the Melton Law Studio. And believe me, we are hopefully tucked away pretty soundly here because uh, we are in this part of the state under a tornado watch. And the worst is probably yet to come. We've got a red cell coming across the state toward us, so to speak. And we'll repeat this information for you as we go and um, let you update as we go along. If we were to um, lose power here, we'll have a backup generator. It will kick on right away. Um, but we will also need to reboot the computer. That will take a few minutes. So a production will keep you posted on that by probably posting a, a, an alert of some sort if necessary as to uh, uh, what the weather conditions are here. So we've got a, a what we call a red cell with convection spinning in it. And I'll report more on it the half hour of time during the weather thing that's sort of coming across the state right now. Uh, the the uh, Mellon Law Studio is... Uh, here supporting the, uh, the Manly Warthog Man Cave, of course, and Melton Law. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Melton started his law practice in 1971, I believe. And um, so it's been a ways, and he's been doing a lot here in the community lately. He is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators. And, of course, we have our good friends at cpss.net, Crime Prevention, um, John Pastore, Crime Prevention Protection is 24-7, 365 with the best security systems you can get locally owned and therefore monitored. Uh, check them out. They are top notch. Um, the the uh, morning plantation mark, what you got? Overcast in Virginia. Uh, well, you'll probably be getting what we're getting right now. And hopefully uh, it won't blast you the way it suggests it's going to blast us. Uh, time to build a bunker. Well, we're sort of in a bunker here, Jack. And so, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, power is another situation. Uh, so Internet's another situation. But I think we're in a pretty good bunker. You never know, though, uh, how that goes. So um, the, the story today, I'm kind of I'm kind of frustrated today. I got to tell you guys something. I, I, I'm just frustrated. And I'm going to go through it with you. I called today's show the National Hypocrisy. I, I, I'm just sort of, you know, as long as I've been doing this, it seems like it's in many ways it's futile. I mean, nothing seems to change. It's the same old, same old. And so I titled today's show um, National Hypocrisy. Um, I just want to start out here locally with a local story that, of course, bothers a lot of people because it's got the same theme in it, my friends, that I'm going to be able to trace all across our nation. Now, as you know, I'm also on the board of Crime Stoppers, and we also on the wordsgodfiles.com a link to the Crime Stoppers webpage. And so I'm familiar with all these things in a in a way that the general public perhaps is familiar, but I'm even much more thoroughly familiar with it because we listen to the description of the criminals how that end up getting uh, apprehended through Crime Stopper tips. And so we learn, uh, I've learned a lot, and it's been very frustrating. And this is just one item that's got a very, very sad story to it. It's, um, you may have heard of it, there were a male and a female. They were charged with manslaughter of a child under 18, child neglect, unsafe storage of a firearm, you know, all those charges are based upon regular people's behavior. Uh, um, unsafe storage of a firearm that allows access by a minor. 
You know, the way that's phrased, we're talking about people who keep a self-defense weapon who have gone through perhaps some training and we have a great uh, um, sponsor here and shoot GTR, the range here with um, Bennett Latimer who, ma who manages that range, um, puts you through safety classes, um, gives you firearm training. I, I, I have to think that that phrase and that um, statute is written aimed at people who were neglectful, left their quote unquote safe open, uh, something of this nature. But that's not what we're dealing here with because Ledrick Latorius Ferguson is a convicted felon and not just a convicted felon, but a multi-time convicted felon. I think I ran out of fingers and toes when I was trying to count up the number of times. Let's see if it's uh, in, um, you know, in the report here sometime. Um, but a felon is not legally, you know, supposed to have access to firearms. Well, be around somebody who does. All of this stuff is pretty much the rule. And yet here we've got the same old story, a convicted felon around uh, these weapons, irresponsible, the guns are loaded, uh, in, lo in locked case and center console of the couch. What that tells you is the felon is busting, expecting any moment somebody to bust into the house. So while he's sitting out, I'm surmising this, um, putting it in the couch. We've, I've heard so many Crime Stopper stories where the culprit was on the couch with the gun next to him. It ended up with a shootout. Um, and uh, there you are. So this unlocked case stuff, as I say, doesn't really describe the scene. So these uh, are uh, just this is a situation that you wonder why it doesn't uh, ever change. Um, there was supposedly a witness in the house earlier in the day, according to I'm reading this off the off of the um, excellent reporting done by Jennifer Cabrera and the Lachville Chronicle, who's pretty much put the Gainesville sunset out of business. Um, um, somebody visiting this told the of officers that um, this felon had handled firearms while these uh, young children were in the room and he had placed the guns in the center console. Um, the witness reportedly said this character had been talking about the guns, why she needed them for protection. That right there, we often get that as a crime stopper tip. Uh, clearly, this didn't come through our crime stopper network. But if that tip had come through us in Crime Stoppers, we would have dispatched through our system somebody to take a look at that situation before it became what it eventually became. And so I want to encourage you out there, if you are stumble across something, you know of something, you witness something, we have a Crime Stoppers tip line. Uh, you can access it on the wardscottfiles.com website and you fire that tip off. It's anonymous. No one will ever know who you are. And we will immediately look into that. And oftentimes this, if it ends up in an apprehension and arrest, you'll get a, a reward. And uh, often, sometimes these awards are five figures. So, and there are always at least three figures. Six, seven, eight hundred dollars. So it's all tied to the danger involved in apprehending the culprit and the bravery it took on your part to report or tip uh, the authorities off to the situation. Uh, that is the way we balance it. Uh, then when it's uh, resolved, uh, law enforcement comes to our board and presents the case and recommends what the uh, the, the reward should be. And then as a board, as we sit there and listen to it, we'll either lower 
uh, what the law enforcement recommends or we'll raise it. And much more often than not, we raise it because it's even more dangerous to us who are the civilians uh, than it is law enforcement who's around it all the time and sort of become accustomed to this being business as usual. So that's the way it works. And we're always in need of Crime Stopper board members. If you're interested in being a member of the Crime Stopper board, it's a very interesting and rewarding experience. Please contact me at wardscottfiles at gmail.com. And um, I will be glad to answer you and uh, talk with you about it. So if you're interested in being on the Crime Stoppers board, let me know. So this event here has kind of set the tone for what I'll be talking about much throughout this show, because the hypocrisy to me is that we assume that the gentleman who was the convicted felon really was of no danger anymore. And he was obviously victimized somehow by all sorts of extenuating circumstances from race to gender to um, housing, to you name it. Um, and it's given the law enforcement world a lot of frustration because they put their lives in danger getting these characters. We do our part as a board and then the judicial system turns them loose. Now, it's, 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 um, it's really something that is not just local. Um, uh, I, I, you, know, you think of Canada, for example, uh, as being a, uh, a uh, liberal place and, and uh, somehow that liberal behavior has resulted in a better society. This is the dream of, um, of the liberals is that uh, if they liberalize their scrutiny of people, uh, somehow the people will become better people. When if you take a look at it, uh, it is much different than what the liberals seem to be assuming. This guy, Miles Sanderson, he was the character in Saskatchewan who went on the stabbing rampage that killed 10 people in and around a Canadian indigenous reserve, which is an Indian reservation. And uh, it was a manhunt. He's 32 years, was 32 years old. Who was he? Who was he? Well, in 2017, he barged into his ex-girlfriend's home, punched a hole in the door of a bathroom while his two children were hiding in a bathtub and threw a cement block at a vehicle parked outside. Now, where do you get this information? Are you ready for this? From parole documents. Well, after a few days later at a store, he got into a fight, threatened to kill an employee, and burned down his parents' home. Well, that led to a robbing of a fast food restaurant where he clubbed somebody in there with a gun and stomped on his head. In 2018, he stabbed two men with a fork while drinking and beat someone else unconscious. He was released in February. The parole board set conditions on his contract with his people that he'd hung out with, said he couldn't enter relationships even with women without permission from the parole officer. He had a statutory release and he was not an undue risk to society. Hello? Hello? Are you kidding me? I mean, it cannot be so. Now, this character uh, went around participating and ended up killing 10 people. Uh, it, it was a rampage. It, it, well, who, who could have predicted it would have been anything else but a rampage if you take a look at the history of that? Now, we've got a horrible situation, probably one of the worst we've got. And this whole mess that I'm going through is um, the the uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee deal uh, where the. And I don't know what she was doing. I, this is the mystery to me. 
I don't know what the jogger, the female, was doing jogging at 4 a.m. in the morning. Not, I don't care if she was on the University of, I guess she was, Memphis campus. She's alone jogging at what? Four o'clock in the morning. Now, we got to praise her for being out and industrious and, and, and uh, you know, working out, but she's, she's not carrying any kind of defense. And one of the things I don't quite understand is this black SUV pulled up next to her. Did she go over to see if the, the person was lost and needed? Why did she ever approach it when it came up to her? Why didn't she take off and haul buttocks into the darkness of the campus? The guy would have had to park the vehicle, get out of the vehicle, and she's already a well-conditioned person. But my golly, I mean, she didn't do that. She, she, uh, she, I guess. And so somehow she gets into a confrontation with this character. It turns out to be one that she's going to lose. But the deal is he's already been arrested for the very same thing and, 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 and done time for the very same thing. And guess what? You know the answer to it. Released. And not two seconds after he's released, he's out on patrol again, satisfying or trying to satisfy whatever primitive animalistic instincts he's got and comes across an unsuspecting, trusting, naive soul, I guess. And the rest is history. Kills her, this, that, one thing and another. She leaves behind a couple of children. I, I can't get it straight in my head. A couple of things. One, my friends at Shoot DTR tell me that there are more and more people coming to the range concern about their own protection. They've given up on the cops protecting them. You've got the cops being subdued by these liberal progressive uh, uh, courts and liberal progressive commissions, and they have turned to defending themselves. So uh, they're at the range, they're taking classes, they're learning how to handle their weapons, and I'm all for them, particularly the women. Um, the women have not all women, but, you know, women are mothers and they have a kind of trusting element that can easily be exploited. And I have to think that's what this lady was like. Uh, you know, what kind of world does she think it is if she's out there at 4 a.m.? And I see this all over the University of Florida campus. Uh, early in the morning, I had occasion to be in town uh, not long ago, and I was amazed at this, the females jogging alone uh, through all sorts of areas. You know, I can remember Ted Bundy. I rem that's the way he did his opera. He had a van. This guy had an SUV. Um, it, it was uh, uh, in the collector, the movie, they chloroformed the, the person as soon as he got home. So she couldn't resist. So um, it's, it's, um, it's a perplexing situation, but it doesn't ever seem to change. Now, Memphis is even going through more duress in that not a day or two after this situation, a guy drove around the city shooting at people. This is horrifying. Killing four. He had an hours long rampage that forced, you know, I'll tell you what now, you, all you have to do is hear a shot fired and people understandably panic. Uh, so this guy's name was Ezekiel Kelly. He was 19 years old in Memphis, the same town who were the kidnapper killed the, uh, the victim. He was charged as an adult when he was 19 with attempted first degree murder in 2020. This character was taken into custody in Memphis and uh, lo and behold, uh, there he was again. And uh, he wasn't a stranger. Four people killed, three others wounded, in seven shootings across Memphis that began at 12.56 a.m. Wednesday and con continued 
till about 8.30 p.m., okay? Now, there were at least eight crime scenes. There were seven shootings, the carjacking of a Dodge Challenger in South Haven, Mississippi. Uh, Kelly was arrested when he was had the high-speed chase. Um, so this, this, who was this character? Numerous tips from the public during the ordeal. You know, when you come in with the tips at this point of the crime, it's a little late. Somebody could have been tipping off, and I'm just now pitching the use of Crime Stopper tip line. So uh, this guy, once again, close to the University of Memphis campus. I can assure you that at the campuses now, because I was talking to some of the property managers uh, of the units here that students live in, the students in the campuses these days are on high, high alert. They are getting all sorts of surveillance equipment installed. Uh, they, except for these females jogging alone in these woebegone places. So um, the, uh, there's not, they don't even have a motive for why this guy behaved the way he did. Um, but he was no stranger in February 2020 when he was 17 years old, okay? He was charged as an adult with attempted first-degree murder. Uh, let me just read the list of stuff here. This has come off the AP wire. Uh, when he was 17, he was charged as an adult with attempted first-degree murder, aggravated assault, using a firearm to commit a dangerous felony, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon. This is all in his court records. Now, he pled guilty to the aggravated assault and was sentenced in April 2021 to three years and released from prison in March, 11 months after he was sentenced. Now, looky here. You hear this in the city of Gainesville, defund the cops, uh, the communist commissioner, Cinco or whatever her name is, the Cuban communist commissioner. I heard her strongly complain about a helicopter that GPD either had or had access to and, 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 and dressed down GPD for being too militarized against citizens. Are you kidding me? Now, I got to grant you, it doesn't help anything when GPD sends a SWAT team in on a, an innocent group of commercial business people. That is going to come back to haunt them financially and undermine their trust as a police organization. In my humble estimation, GPD is poorly run, poorly organized, poorly disciplined, and probably that failing grade is heavily influenced by the fact that they are governed by the likes of the Gainesville City Commission. But it is a very ineffective police unit. And they'll tell you so. But they're frustrated. They don't know where to turn. So these situations are the ones that the civilians have to live with. Now, mind you, if you are a law-abiding citizen, to go get a weapon. Now, here's a seven-time convicted felon with weapons in the couch. He didn't have to take a concealed weapons course. He didn't have to have a background check. He didn't have to have any training at the range. He didn't care. And always, it seems, I can tell you so many times I hear this, there is the obligatory woman involved with whom the felon is living. And it's, you know, all the way back to Breonna Taylor. You know, she wasn't innocent as a driven snow, you know. These women like these bad characters. I don't know what it is, but I can tell you from being on Crime Stoppers, I've heard it time and time again. And it, it, it is, uh, 
it's one of the things that is not unusual to run across. It is, it is. Um, now, if you want to take it to a very organized level, take it to what we have. I could give you the website, but I'm not going to do it over the air. I could give you the website that was shown me, to me by the authorities that wraps it all up into one. There are the males who use these females for prostitution and drugs. And if they don't behave, I got to tell you right now, they'll kill them. That's one of the extreme relationships I know of in the community where male-female relationships are involved in crime. But then you have these sort of routine deals where boyfriend, girlfriend, and, and you know, I worked at a business one time, okay? Before we go on a break, I'm going to tell you this story, honest, true story. We worked at a, I worked at a business that had a shop of clothing in it. And lots of stuff was done by cash. And, uh, but, you know, the books never added up. And there was a young lady behind the counter. Uh, she happened to be uh, black, but, you know, it really wouldn't matter. Could be anybody who had a boyfriend she was covering for. And, but it does matter. It does matter. She was hired by the proprietors of the uh, of the of the uh, business, which was a sub business of the business I was involved in. So let me put it to you this: we leased out that apparel shop, and then we got a cut of what came in through the apparel shop because we leased it to them. And of course, they managed it and took their cut. And we began to notice as a board that we weren't getting enough money from the, the shop based upon the apparel in the shop and the, and the, and the apparel that was to, you know, vanished. and It was either sold or unaccounted for. In other words, the books didn't add up. So we went and asked the proprietor of the shop to whom we had subleased the business. And, and they were r real liberals. I mean, they had hired this young lady because... And we didn't object. We took their word, you know, that, oh, she's a fine young lady. And, you know, she needs to work here. And it was a club. So it was a kind of high rolling people who came in there. And so we said, fine, no problem. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a complaint as long as we run a business. Well, it came down to we had to start looking around among all the employees to see how that money was disappearing. And, buddy, that was a horrible experience. We put everybody under lie detectors. And what was so embarrassing was for good, upstanding people who worked at this club, for us to go to them and say, we're sorry, but we're going to have to ask you to take a lie detector test. What? Yeah, we got to find out where this money. Well, long story short, where do you think the money was going? It was going through the female. And why was it going through the female and where was she sending it? She was sending it to support her several time convicted felon boyfriend's cocaine habit. You know, we took the proprietor's word when the proprietor said, well, that's the last person that would ever be taking money from the till. We trust her so much. She's so sweet. She's so wonderful. Really? Really? So in, in, in the end of this story is we, she, of course, the girl was summarily dismissed, but we also fired the proprietor of that store that we had an arrangement with because of their misplaced trust. Um, this is how it could work. So I'm no newcomer to the block on this. And when I see these things, where's the mention of the mother? This kid who, I'm assuming it was no father. I mean, you know, the first thing my father said to me, he said, you get in trouble and I'm going to tell the sheriff to leave you in the jail. I'm not coming for you. And you're going to be staying there for a long time and I'm going to tell him to throw the key away. Where was the father in these equations to say this? Well, you can assume the father's missing. Well, what about the mother? How many times have you heard 
the mother get on the air after a dastardly situation, a stabbing like this in Canada or whatever, and say he was the most wonderful boy. He was the most, he, he had all the promise in the world. That's the mother. When I was a young kid, I, well, I hung out with some pretty bad dudes, okay? I just put it to you that way. Bad by the mean, they were troublemakers. They were the smartest kids in school. And I sort of gravitated to them. And there was a deal where, you know, it seemed they were mischievous, really. And it was interesting to think of all the creative ways they could think of being mischievous, from throwing pennies in a cold air duct in the library to on all kinds of things. And one time my buddy came to me and he says, hey, my mother would never allow me out at night. For example, I was in um, seventh or eighth grade. She would never allow me out at night. My buddy came to me and says, oh, let's go take our bicycles out at night and ride around the neighborhood. It's so cool. Well, he is a world-class troublemaker, but a good, I thought, a great guy. So I said, well, how in the heck am I going to do that? He said, well, no, just go to your mother and tell her we're going to uh, wash dishes at the PTA meeting. I thought, golly, that's a beautiful story. I mean, my mother will prove that. Here I am, good little two-shoes. Mom, can I go with my friend to wash dishes at the PTA meeting? <coughs> Why, of course. Well, of course, we don't go to the PTA meeting. We go out and ride our bicycles at night without lights. All the mischievous stuff you can get into riding around. And, and that's seals. I won't talk about it. Uh, so to speak, I mean, just censoring myself. You know, I'm, I'm in the seventh grade or so. I can't remember. Long in there somewhere. And the coolest thing I did on my bike is I took the fenders off so it'd go faster. But anyway, the next morning, my friends, my mother says, come here, I want to talk to you. My, mo my mother, not my father. Because if my father had done it, I, I'd, I'd have been living in the basement to this day. My mother called me and, and said, listen, let me tell you something. You lied to me. Oh, of course I did. But how the hell does she know? She had called the PTA to find out if we actually appeared to wash dishes. And the PTA says, do what? We don't have any kids here washing dishes. And that's when my mother told my buddy's mother. Do you realize that the two of them did not wash dishes? And my buddy's mother said to my mother, oh, my son would never lie to me, Mrs. Scott. Wow. 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 Right back on the Ward Scott Files after our bottom of the hour break. Stay tuned. Wow. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie 
at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We've got Ward's weather report here, and so far we have escaped... uh, the calamity that they have been promising has even come across, I'm informed, the national news that we're sitting in the middle of possible tornado pass. Uh, notwithstanding whether or not that thing actually touches down somewhere around us, we're going to have a rainy day. We're going to have a cloudy, stormy day. And uh, it's, uh, it, it probably will stretch into, and this is the big question, into the Gator football weekend. And I'm looking now at the t- tendencies, um, the temperature is going to be below 90, and it's going to be down in the low 70s at night. So that won't be the problem. But we've got a cloudy rain forecast all the way through. Let me see where we go. Well, all the way into Wednesday of next week, as far as we can project there. So um, that's really the story right now is um, September is kind of a violent month in Florida as this um, nature shifts over and prepares for a different winds and uh, different uh, kinds of uh, uh, accumulations of effects that produce uh, water, and uh, particularly here. So we're kind of beginning, just getting into the beginning of it, and it, it can be it can be kind of a treacherous. To um, I can remember one year when we went to the Georgia Florida game; and it was played at noon. Uh, we almost called that game off because a, cor- a tornado came right across um, the stadium practically and uh jeremy foley almost called it off we've got a red cell right now that i'm looking at which is south of where i am so we're not getting it but down toward gainesville they could well be getting it and i apologize for not projecting the weather out a little bit more across the state right now because the big focus is on us here in north central florida and this weather pattern seems to be coming across uh from the south uh to the east and so we're traveling northeast off the Gulf, which is a kind of good recipe for water. Uh, I'm looking at Plantation Mark's comments. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, we, Mark says, uh, cutting hay. And I saw my first load of hay go out of a barn lot just yesterday, Mark. So um, it's beginning to become necessary, particularly for the horses. I don't need hay right now because I've got a lot of grass and I won't need hay, hopefully, until November. November generally is when you start needing hay uh, for your livestock and you carry it into uh, March. So um, that's, that's the way it works, my friends. And that's Ward's weather report for today. <clears throat> I was telling production, um, having a chat with them during the break, um, they're, they're young and they've been uh, listening to what I've been saying about parental involvement in the raising of their kids. And i got to tell you, the ending to this story that I just told you, um, we were in about the seventh grade then, as I remember, uh, in our senior year, um, my friend had just gotten in more and more and more trouble. And I had gotten in less and less and less trouble because of my mother's uh, absolutely intolerant, as she could not tolerate lies. Uh, my, her mother, my grandmother, always taught me there's nothing worse than a liar. Um, but, uh, my friend's mother came over to our house the senior year. We were in our senior year and sat down and I'll never forget it, sat down in our living room and cried and told my mother, 
Uh, Mrs. Scott, you were absolutely correct. I was totally off base. I said, she said, I've just ruined him, but I've got two younger boys and they will never, ever get away with what he got away with. And so (laughs) the younger kids, she had four, four boys and three boys and the older one got away with this ability to lie. The two younger ones didn't. And buddy, they had a different life completely. She cracked down on them. But at that time, she was willing. And that's why a betrayal of trust is such a huge, huge thing. Betrayal is probably the biggest. I don't want to call it a sin, but it's probably the thing that arouses um, a response from that who was betrayed more than any other action. When you're betrayed, when you extended your trust to someone and that person took advantage of that trust, a business deal especially. I've got a guy right now that I haven't hammered publicly yet, but I almost never do this. But I'm thinking very much about doing it. It's a guy who doesn't pay his bills, who told me he was to my face. This is the deal and this is when I will do it and hasn't done it. I put up with it, I put up with it, and I put up with it, but I ain't going to put up with it forever. It's a betrayal because it was a handshake trust. Now, we got paper to back it up, emails and things like that. But, you know, you as Merle Haggard said, you done got on the fighting side of me, brother. When, when you lied to me, you betrayed me. Um, and and you, you told me you were going to do something and you deliberately did not do it. Um, I've got to tell you right now, something I want to go through with you. Um, you know, I was talking to, um, I, want to, I want to kind of get off this theme of crime for a minute, although we'll never get off it. Um, there is there's so much. Let me just say, here, here's a betrayal of trust. Let me, let me just, it's a national betrayal. I mean, just, I feel like Rush Limbaugh now stumbling through all of his papers as he used to do and look, you know, getting a hold of him with this, what we used to say is calls nicotine stained fingers. Um, it is, uh, uh, well, I'm not sure I got the right offer. I got so much stuff here in the midnight audio, but it's about the black lives matter guy who stole from his own organization that he created. And I'll, I'll get that. You know, my golly. I mean, come on, brother. And I'll get that article out somewhere. It's somewhere in my midnight audio here. I looked at that and I thought, man, unbelievable. And yet Black Lives Matter has been given cover as holy as sank because it's got the word black in it. Ain't nothing about that that's holy sank. We're talking about people. Come on. Corrine Brown stole from her own people. And in fact, her case, she stole from the little children. You know, I've got to take issue with something that's on my wrong bad side. I've got to take issue with the Washington Post, okay? Now, yeah, he did, Ken. He stole $10 million, $10 million from Black Lives Matter. Thank you very much for putting that in the, in the, in the narrative. I, I, I've got the article somewhere. Uh, Ken Yerger, my good buddy from Atlanta, uh, is aware of that. Stole $10 million from Black Lives Matter. Incredible. Um, the um, here, here, I just want to go through a f- couple things with you because right now DeSantis is pursuing with due diligence all this uh, behavior by these people who voted and weren't allowed to vote. I mean, it, it, it's that simple. They weren't allowed to vote, so they did it. They did anyway, and the press has been trying to find a way to excuse it. Now, you have to understand something about the Washington Post, the New York Times, these papers which are in the North. These papers still view and still perpetuate and will do so because it makes, sells copies, still views the South as a backward, racist, hateful, barn-burning William Faulkner's got a short story called Barn Burning. Scary place. Well, where people live, maybe have six toes. 
You know, they still use that as a backdrop for their stories. Now, the only person that I know who played that to the hill as a positive was my friend, Harry Cruz. Harry Cruz wrote a book called The Gospel Singer. It was actually his fifth book. His first four books were dismal. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, he was writing and trying, but he got rejected, rejected. But the, this book, The Gospel Singer, caught the imagination of moral, moral, moral press in uh, New York City, and they printed it. And when New York critics reviewed it, they, and, and the story was about the South and a, a young guy who comes off of a struggling agrarian world, rural world, and becomes a gospel singer and kind of makes it out of the, 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 the morass of his, his past that way. Um, what, is it, what does New York do? Calls the work, my God, we've discovered a gothic writer. Well, I remember Harry and I were really close and he came to me and he said, Ward, he said, New York just called me a gothic writer. What is a gothic writer? I said, Harry, I got no idea what a gothic writer is. So we got to rummaging around trying to figure out what a gothic writer was. And in the New York critical language, it was a writer who came from a woe-begotten part of the country like the South. And how in the world could a woe-begotten inbred place like the South full of racism and hate and barn burnings and, and lynchings and all these things produce any kind of literary artist who could put two words together? How could that happen? Never mind the fact that the Nobel Prize winner, you're, uh, William Faulkner, comes from the South. Never mind the fact that Erskine Caldwell wrote from the South. Never mind the fact that uh, Peter Taylor and, and all, all, Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor and, you know, these people were Southern writers. I mean, coming from the South. Oh, never mind that. Gothic writers coming from a place that where people had worms. I mean, it was really once upon a time a thing that's called the Mason-Dixon line. And I remember crossing the Mason-Dixon line as a kid because my father was born in Virginia and was a Southerner, and my mother was born in Illinois and was a Northerner. And so we would go back and forth between the North and the South in the 40s to see families. And every time we crossed and it was a Mason-Dixon line. Every time we crossed the Mason-Dixon line, things looked pretty crummy. And I would look out the window of the car and ask my mother why things all of a sudden looked kind of crummy. And she, being from the north, said to me with all earnestness and sincerity, oh, we just crossed the Mason-Dixon line. We're in the south now. Well, it took me years to realize that what the South was recovering from was Reconstruction. And everybody thinks that had Lincoln not be assa been assassinated, the Reconstruction would not have been conducted the way it was conducted, where the scallywags and the carpetbaggers came down and just exploited the South and ravaged it and left it poor. I mean, we, wouldn't even, we didn't even do that to Japan. We didn't even do that to Iraq. So what the North did, the South, we, we wouldn't dare do that as foreign policy now. So that was basically the way it looked. So when Cruz wrote, they were shocked. And so he and I had a steak and a bottle of bourbon. We sat down and talked about it. And we said, hell, just use it, Harry. Go ahead and be one. If they want you to be one, be one. And I'll be darned if he didn't take it and run with it. And began to write about freaks. Harry's subject was freaks. And man, the North loved it. Because you see, they already believe that everybody that lives in the South, some sort of freak, ain't normal. 
fed up with the rebellion and hates the country. And, and they're still applying that standard to the January 6th thing. It's no different. The federal government right now, in the form of Biden, is talking about the Trumpers as if they were Southerners. In fact, they want to use rules and laws against the Republicans that were used by the Republicans, if you will, against the Democrats after the Civil War. You know, Seditious Act, Seditions Act. And so now, you know, it ain't done. It ain't over. So when I read this thing in the Washington Post about what our great investigator is doing, Mark Glazer, Mark Glazer single-handedly has become a national celebrity. Everybody in the country now knows about our data investigator. Trust me. He's getting calls every day from all over the country. And the challenge is to not let them pre-write the story to fit a narrative like they did for Harry when they publicized him as a freak writer from the South. Because the North still views anything that goes on in Florida as a freak state. I'll just read a little bit about it to you. Uh, this is a start out in Belgrade, Florida, of all places to pick out as representative of Florida. They pick out Belgrade. Belgrade is migrant workers. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's a different world in Belgrade. So what does the Washington Post do? It exploits that and begins the thing with when Leo Grant Jr. cast his ballot and Leo Grant Jr., by the way, do I need to tell you, is black. In the 2020 election, it was the first time the 53-year-old had ever voted, an act that made him feel like he was setting a good example for his three sons and fulfilling his role as a citizen. But in August, three Florida officers showed up at his home near Lake Okeechobee in Palm Beach County as he was about to go bass fishing with a friend. Oh, do you get the picture? A black guy in the South just minding his own business, going fishing to put food on the table for his children. And all of a sudden, three Florida officers, no doubt white, show up. They had handguns tucked into holsters, strapped to their jeans, and carried shackles. Shackles. What a word. Shackles. Grant had committed a grave offense, they said. Election, beep. He'd voted despite, and here comes the kicker. He'd voted despite a sexual offense conviction two decades earlier in 1999. Let me tell you, my friend, if you are a sexual predator convicted and labeled, that sexual offense never goes away. You are considered to be grossly abnormal. And you are supposed to be available at any moment if we need to know where you are. Because you are dangerous. Now, there's no time limit. So why did they bring up earlier in 1999? They placed handcuffs around his wrists and drove him to jail. And then they have a quote from him. I've been a good father. And I follow the law. He thought. He thought. And they put this in quotes. He thought or did he say or did the post put the words in his mouth? I do good for the community and they come to my house and pick me up for voting. Yes, because you lost that right. Now, remember, we're living in a society where there's a bunch of people that, who think if you can put a breath on a mirror, you can vote. We are trying to find responsible, knowledgeable people to vote. 
That's the other side of the coin. Now, are you telling me that, for example, the jogger kidnapped by the kidnapper? You see the philosophy here? Oh, well, he had a sexual offense conviction. Well, maybe we should just let him go and let him vote. Well, this guy was picked up for kidnapping, but he was this and that and one thing or another. Maybe we should just let him go and he won't do it again. And he's no longer on the bricks again. Then he does it again and kills his time. Oh, my God. Then the Washington Post says that because of DeSantis, the election police unit have weaponized their new powers for political gain. Now, let me tell you, I'm about halfway through this article on the front page. Have you heard any mention whatsoever of the rights of the victim? Have you? I haven't. I encourage you to go look at the article yourself. I haven't heard anything anybody take up for the rights of the victim. The first felony this guy committed, by the way, was registering. He couldn't vote without registering. So he lied on the registration. When does food stamp beep? occur. It occurs when you apply for food stamps. When does perjury occur on the driver's license application? It occurs when you apply for the license and sign your name that what you told the state is true subject to conviction for perjury if it isn't. So, Post doesn't even bring that up. Let me bring it up. And one of the things I'm so sick of, and I just want to go on record saying I'm sick of people dredging up Daniel A. Smith, a University of Florida political science professor, to get his verbiage and garbage about everything. Why in the heck do they go to that goofball? Because he's liberal. He's not objective. And then they bring up this, so, well, there's no evidence that beep had any influence in the 2020. How do you know that? How do you know? You didn't even know there was, you didn't even know this existed. So how do you know there's no evidence? You don't know. And then they want to go back and say, I'm going to read this sentence to you. Then we're going to run out of time. I'm sorry. The state's ban on felons voting is an attempt to disenfranchise uh, uh, black Floridians. Huh? Now, where do they get this? I'm back to the gothic nature of the South. They play the race card in this article, and they said this has been going on since the Civil War to bolster the political power of white residents. You know, this crap is being fed on a daily basis. When Mark Glazer went scurrying through the database, he didn't go looking for black or white. That's where it all started. It turns out one way, it turns out that way. It starts with the data. How in the world does something which starts with the data 
end up being twisted like the Washington Post twisted. That is the big national hypocrisy that's going on all over our country. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.